0: Yeah, this week um today's the first day i've been out of the house in a few days and um
1: so scoot over just a little bit. yeah that's down.
0: probably a good idea we should we should have got a longer table
1: we need one of those curtains that separates first class from coach and just kind of you get know, <laughs> right a little sneeze guard right here um could someone please invent that and put that on invent help the yeah. sneeze guard just kind of a yeah, little yeah, the pit sneeze guard so
0: um Anyway, so yeah, I've been laid up, and but as I've been, you know, kind of working from home and doing a lot of uh, things that I could do for my computer and, and that sort of thing. As I as I was studying this week uh, for the sermon, which we bit, we started a, s- a series last week called um, "Dumb Things Smart Christians Say," where we're just kind of looking at some things that have kind of statements that may have made their way into the Christian vernacular, and and some of them uh, maybe are not based on Scripture. Some of them are just kind of you know old wives tales or, or whatever. Um, and so just looking at that, the one I was going to deal with this week uh, was was one that as I got to studying, it, it felt more like a point from a sermon than a whole sermon itself. And then on top of that, it kind of felt like maybe it was just one of my pet peeves versus something that, you know, merited an entire sermon. And so uh, this is what I love about God is, is uh, every, you know, once in a while, he'll just kind of mess me up. And, um, and so it it just, just didn't happen all the time, but every, I don't know, two or three years, uh, I'll just feel really burdened to go that sermon you were planning on teaching. This is not the time for it. And, and most of the time, God says, I need you to teach this. And this time, as I was praying through that, uh, yesterday morning, actually, um, I just felt God impressing on me that, that maybe there's some stuff going on in the room that, that we could just offer on the spot. You know, help for or answers for or whatever. And, uh, and so I have no idea what's in this basket. <laughs> really?
1: I just got to say, I'm a little disenfranchised this morning in the fact that Jeff does his best preaching after 7 a.m., I do my best preaching after 7 p.m. So if what I say is just like totally terrible, that's why, but the cool thing is, is that with the youth group, we actually do quite a bit of these kind of Q and A's and we yeah. do a lot of, bit of, you know, a little bit of improv. And so I got to, Oh, thank you, Dylan. Okay. Um, I, I love these because oh, I've like... <laughs> You missed the deadline. Sorry. No, this is my softball. I need this. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
0: Oh, okay. Wow. All right. So here's the deal. We only have so much time and there's no way we're going to get to all of these, unfortunately. Um, and so we will get through as many of them as, as we possibly can. And and see how that goes. All right. So uh, let's okay, let's just go. You ready? Let's do it. Okay. All right. That's not a good one. Uh, <laughs> here's here's a good one. All right. Um, will the Lord forgive us, love us, and keep on loving us? So why don't you fill that one first, Matt?
1: Will God love us? Keep loving us? What was will, that?
0: will he forgive us, love us, and keep on loving us?
1: Well, I want to go to uh, a verse in Romans if I can find it. We've been going through Romans uh, with the youth group uh, over the last uh, over the last mm, my goodness, probably like five months. And um, yeah, I'm I'm blowing on trying to find the, the exact uh, area in here. I got like a million underlines, but it ain't there. Uh, but there's a verse in Romans where it talks about the aspect. You know, can anything snatch us? You know, from from God's love? Is there is there anything that that can take us away, you know, and, and, and Paul is writing, you know, neither angels nor demons nor powers or anything. There's nothing that can snatch us away uh, from God's love out of his hand. And that's something that I think as Christians we have a difficult time understanding. And what I tell our, our junior high and high schools all the time that I think our biggest challenge is not against sin, it's believing the gospel because the gospel is so it, it's so beyond our understanding. And that when we do sin or when something happens in our life that may convince us, oh, God's not loving me right now, that begins to sink in. And and it's it's something that's contrary to the scripture, really. But I think the reason why we so easily get into that line of thinking is because the gospel is so unbelievable in in a sense that a perfect God would die for me, an imperfect person. You just do the math and it doesn't add up. But beyond that, I, I think... Whether it's sin or whether it's a circumstance or a consequence, it really can, if we allow it, to convince us, well, this is happening because God's not loving me right now. But it's something that you say, you know, quite a bit that, you know, imagine, go back to to the worst thing you've ever done in your life. And the Bible tells us through the way that God's love, the, the way that God's love is, is that God loves you the exact same in your worst moment than he does right now when you're at church, mm-hmm. and his love is constant.
0: Yeah, it's actually tied to another question I saw in here earlier that says, "Can you lose your salvation?" And um, the the answer, well, the answer to will God love us, uh, forgive us, love us, and keep on loving us, is yes. And the answer to it, you, "Can you lose your salvation?" is no, but all right. So let, let me let me uh, unpack that for you. Um. That, yeah, exactly what Matt said, that God's love for us, when we talk about God loving us, I like to think of it this way, um, that, that love is not so much a verb as it is a, a noun or a descriptor even of who God is. When we talk about God's love, we're not talking about, you know, it, whether or not he's choosing to love us. We're talking about the fact that God is love at his core, in his character, God is love. Um, and so when when he sent Christ to die for our sins, now here's the thing about that. If you especially depending on your background, and, and what I love about Living Hope is we call, all come from all different backgrounds. Um, some of you come from no faith at all. Some of you come from Catholic backgrounds. Some of you come from uh, non-Christian, you know, other faiths. Some of you come from, uh, you know, very legalistic backgrounds. You know, um, whatever. And so depending on your background, you may have this idea that, you know, every time I sin, I'm in, I'm in danger of hellfire. Every time I, I sin, I'm in danger of losing my salvation. And that's not the way scripture presents uh, salvation at all, that we, are, we can be secure in our faith. And so can you lose your salvation? I would say that what the, especially Paul and his teachings, what, they te- what he teaches us is the answer to that is no Um, And I think coupled with that is this idea that if you can walk away from this faith, if you can walk away from the Savior who gave his life for you so that you could live in a beautiful relationship with God the Father, if you can walk away from that, I'm not sure you ever truly grasped it in the first place. I'm not sure it ever truly got a hold of you in the first place. Because once that gets a hold of you, like here's the deal. I'm not saying I never wander because I am just like the old the old hymn says, prone to wander. I, I am prone to wander, right? Um, but the idea of completely abandoning my faith when I know who God is and what he's done for me, that idea is so far I mean i you know I always use the example of marriage you know in in these illustrations of our relationship with God because it's, because the Bible uses that example, and I think it's such a great illustration in my relationship with my wife, Jamie, whom I love with all my heart. <clears throat> there are days i don 't feel like being married, you know what i 'm saying and and there are days that she doesn 't feel like being married to me either, I guarantee you that and uh and so there are days <laughs> that i That I will slack off of um, (laughs) my—I don't care about that. There there are days that I will just slack off as a husband and go, "Yeah, I'm not feeling this right now," and so I'm just going to kind of put distance between me and her. It's probably the healthiest thing, you know. Whatever I justify all this in my head, like we all do. And and but here's the thing: what that I've learned about my relationship with Jamie is that I know I could never actually walk away from that relationship because I know she's the love of my life. I know she's the love of my life. I know that, one, how much she loves me and how much that would kill her. I know how much it would destroy my family to walk away from her. There's all of these things that pile into that, that that make me go, no, I made a covenant, and that covenant is not based on my feelings. And I think the same thing is true in our relationship with God. Are there days that I wake up that I'm not feeling like being super Christian today? You better believe it. But guess what? What was it? The disciples who said, where, you know, where else would we go? Jesus said, are you guys going to leave too? All these people from the crowd had left. And uh, he's like, are you guys going to leave too? And they're like, where would we go? You alone have the words of life. And that's kind of the way I feel about God. Like, where else would I go? Where else would I go? And so I think once you get the covenant that he's made with us that he refuses to break, the covenant that, the, that we then make with him that makes no sense for us to break, um, once you truly, truly understand the weight of that, I don't know how you can walk away from your faith. I don't know. And so, so yeah.
1: I, yeah, I and just to add to that, too, uh, it makes me think of uh, when the Bible speaks to us as sons and daughters. Um, it reminds me of the prodigal son. And whether that uh, parable is speaking to the nation of Israel or whether that's speaking to individuals who are going to go up to Christ, I think the principle is the same. Is that same? See, my youth, my, my youth are used to hearing that, but y'all aren't used to hearing that. So just so you know, I, I think I'm still in puberty, and I don't know whenever that's going to stop. Hopefully someday. Um, so wow. it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, it's kind of interesting, this aspect of the prodigal son. Well, when he was off and squandering his inheritance, was he still the son of his father? Yes, right? He, he, did, he, he may have you know, emancipated himself and gone off and done his own thing, but, but he's still a son. And that's something that I think for us to grasp is kind of difficult because who are we to decide the threshold of what we would qualify as wandering and completely turning away? Whether that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or sending yourself, you know, out of a place of being uh, someone's son. And that's something that I think that we can turn to scripture to help us get clarity. I think the prodigal son is one of those. Um, but If you're looking for that, that passage in Romans that I was talking about earlier, it's Romans 8 at the very end. It starts in 37 and it ends in 39.
0: Okay. All right. Next question. This is a good one. Um, when you know your husband's faith is not as deep or as committed as your own, how uh, should a wife handle that? Um, and I think we could apply this question the other way around as well. If you're a husband whose wife is, who's, you know, is not as committed in her faith as you are in yours, how do you handle that as well? Um, I would say you handle it with with a, a great deal of prayer and a great deal of patience and you serve them every chance you get. You serve them every chance you get. I, I can tell you how you won't win your spouse to the Lord or to a more committed relationship to the Lord. You won't win them by nagging. It's not gonna happen. You'll actually drive them farther away. Um, and so give up on the... Complaint give up on the constantly every time an argument goes a certain way that you 're throwing it in their face about how you know you call yourself a Christian, you know what just give up on that stuff because that 's not going to work, but lots of prayer, lots of patience um, Ephesians five is where we uh, find the teaching that everybody hates about husbands and wives. <clears throat> Ephesians five says this um, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So, so wives, your role is to submit. Now, Paul further defines this um, down a little bit further. He says let each each one of you love his wife each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband and that's really the gist of that statement it's not you need to live under the thumb of your husband it's you need it all goes back to god knows how he hired, hardwired all of us he hardwired men that their primary need for the vast majority of when doing sweeping generalizations here the vast majority of men are hardwired that their primary need his respect. Boomer sooner, by the way. Sorry about that.
1: <coughs> Pardon me. Is it next week, Football All right. Sunday? It is Football yeah. Sunday, okay. yeah. Just so wanted to make sure that we're. Trying. So
0: men are hardwired that their primary need is respect. And so God commands women here in in your dealings with your husband to obey him. And the concept is that of respect. It's not, again, that husbands are going to lord over you and you do what I say. I'm the husband and you're commanded. That's not, that's going to, fellas, that's, that's not going to work out for you at all. Um, and so, but it is the idea of recognizing that the primary need of your husband is to feel respected. Men, if you go to your job where you feel disrespected, it's a miserable place to work. In the same regard, if you come home and you feel disrespected there, it's a miserable place for you to come home to and so, wives, your job is to be your husband's greatest supporter, his number one fan, his uh, constant encourager, um, and to, and to carefully listen to and weigh the guidance that he gives you as the leader of the household. Now, that does not mean you become this yes woman for him, and it 's just like, "Yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear." And you never push back. Not, not that we could not that I have to tell you that, by the way. Um, (Laughter yeah, like you're going to push back, and that's fine. That's perfectly fine. But it's, it's just the idea of, of making sure he feels respect. Likewise, uh, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. And so that here, here's this concept that going, back again, back to the wives, the, the primary need of women, which God knows is sweeping generalizations, but, but nine times out of 10, this is true. Uh, women need to feel a sense of security and a sense that they are cared for. A sense of security and a sense of, that they are cared for. And, and and you know, in another place uh, in the New Testament, it says to, um, it refers to the women as the, to, that men should, uh, you know, deal in their dealings with women, treat them as the weaker vessel. Now, that that's not politically correct, um, but again, what it, what it's referring to, uh, we get hung up on that word weaker. And again, that's an English translation of a of a of a different word, right? The the concept there is is uh, to treat her as something valuable, something like porcelain, something to be cared for, handled with great care, as if uh, it, she's the most valuable thing in your life. And, and so when we, as husbands communicate to our wives, one that we care for them, when we make them feel secure, not just in terms of, do you have life insurance and things like that, but, but secure in the sense that they are secure in their relationship with you. If you're that person that's constantly throwing out the D word and, 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 you know, threatening, you know, the stability of the marriage or whatever, then you're not creating environment for your wife to feel secure. Uh, and so back to the original question of, of when you're at different points in faith, chances are you are at a different point in faith with your, with your, than, your, than your spouse is. And chances are that that might flip-flop from time to time. Regardless of what that is, that does not change your role as husband and it does not change your wife or your role as wife. Um, and so you, you love them. You just love them. You encourage them. You point them towards the truth in ways that are... Um, that they will actually hear, that they will listen to. Um, and you pray for them. You pray not only for them, that you have the words to give to them, but you pray that God would surround them with other voices that they might listen to uh, as well. And, uh, and, and you just pray that thing through. And maybe they'll come to faith, and maybe they won't. Now, that's a hard, you know, like, I'm supposed to fill you full of hope. I know. I can't, I can't, I'm just going to be honest with you. What I have seen over the years is that the majority of the time when, uh, I'll I'll deal with a wife right now, the majority of the time when that wife is just faithful to love her husband, to pray for her husband, to um, offer wise counsel and and to try to lead him into a, a deeper faith, nine times out of 10, that actually happens. It might take time though. I've talked to wives that, prayed for their husbands to come to faith in Christ for 15 years before they ever saw any hope, any hope. And so um, it, it, it may not be, you know, some, some prayers get answered fast and some, you know, God puts in the crock pot. And so you just have to, you have to get ready for, you know, to exercise some patience. All right. Um, here, how about That's this?
1: exactly what I was going to say. I mean, verbatim, good. word for word. I, <laughs> added, I mean, it was just, it was crazy.
0: All right, I'm going to throw this one at you because, oh, because I love you so much. How do we respond in a Christ-like way to all the political turmoil?
1: Not only is this for me, but this is for me right now. Um, so, so here's something. Um, I'll just throw this out for all y'all. Um, so right now, I'm in the middle of, of all this political turmoil, with all this stuff, with immigration, with all this stuff. And how I respond as a church leader will reflect on people in and outside the church, how our church views not only politics, but views people. Because what I think what happens so much of the time, we're talking about political turmoil, right? I think what happens so much of the time is in our whether it's through social media, whether it's through um, at the dinner table, or I was in Ace Hardware the other day, and there were these two guys that were just totally going off, you know. Uh, No matter where we are, we want our voice to be heard. We want our opinion to be heard. And I think one of the things that drives, one of the things that compels us so much to voice our opinion in the midst of political turmoil is when one side appears to be winning the spotlight. Right. When one side feels like not only is their side being disrespected, but not even given, you know, the time of day uh, to be heard. And that's at least what compels me the most. And and so I'll, I'll admit full disclosure, I've posted several things on Facebook in the last couple of days and then about three minutes later deleted them because I realized it was stupid. Everything I said, I feel totally okay with but just going off on Facebook that no one needs to see that no one you know even if I had you know things that I felt were were correctly to say now this is what i think would be a, a good response in in the midst of political turmoil is is this principle that in high school ministry that that is the core principle of our high school ministry is listen because what people need to see amongst christians is people who legitimately care you know it's something that that Phil says is people won't um, no, people won't know to care unless they... Wait, how does it go? People won't care what you know until they know that you care. And, and in my conversations, which debates, uh, with people of, of, of different points of view, I have always driven a wedge when I did not listen, whether you're single, in a relationship, married, you know how important it is to be heard, right? I mean, that, that's a core value in, in any kind of social uh, environment. And so, as a Christian, I think one of the first things that we need to intentionally make sure that we're doing is, is whether we're in an environment with people the same or different points of view is, listen. If you have an opportunity to speak in your point of view, that's fantastic. But I think so often we feel like the only vessel of response to political turmoil is voicing our opinion. <coughs> who, who would raise that's their so hands and say that? I feel like that's my first that's response. True. Anyone else? Anyone else just feel like they want to like voice? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I think a, a lot of us feel like as, as soon as we feel like our position is squandered or, or something is going on and we feel like we have something legitimate to bring to the table, our initial vessel would be to, to speak up. Now, this is where it gets tricky because when we look at Jesus, right, we go to the WWJD and we say, well, what did, what did Jesus do? Jesus did spend a lot of time talking. And so we can look at that and feel like, oh, well, then I just need to go on a, a soapbox and tell everyone, you know, you're all going to hell and all your political views suck and everything that you believe in is terrible. Uh, and and at the same time, though, if you look at who did Jesus speak to, I guess I could say forcefully. Who, who did he speak to? He spoke specifically to the to the Jewish religious people and so really the the harsh skepticism is not pointed to the roman empire what did jesus say give to caesar what is Caesar's. when all the jews were you know were were going wanted to rebel and didn't want to pay taxes and so jesus's position actually wasn't for the jews (laughs) to uprise and voice their opinion he actually said you know what and exactly what paul would would go to later which has been The hardest chapter for me recently is Romans 13, where he says, you know, God establishes these authorities, whether you voted for them or not, whether you agree with them or not, God ordained and established these authorities, and you have to abide by the rules of the law. And Jesus spoke to the Jews more harshly, and he said, you need to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, you need to serve, and what did Jesus say? The greatest among you will be the servant. And so While that may not be an answer that fully, I guess, answers the whole thing, what what our active response would be, I would say as a caution, as you make your responses, make sure you listen. Because if you do not listen, those who hear a response, if you have a response, are not even going to hear your response. So if you view your response to political turmoil as an avenue to share Christ with someone, as an avenue to share light, as an avenue to spread truth... If you don't listen, they're not going to hear that truth. It's just not going to happen.
0: Yeah, I would add to that that I think 90% of the turmoil politically that we're feeling is manufactured by social media. And um, I, I cannot encourage you enough to start limiting your social media. I, you got, some of you not know that I got almost completely off of Facebook this last week, um, uh, partly for that reason, for other reasons, too, that I just felt like God had been dealing with me about but. Um, I, you know, I, I wanted to stay on for some strategic reasons for the church, but, but I, I basically unfriended 90% of my friends. And it wasn't like, I hate you. There wasn't, that was not the qualifying. <laughs> it was like, do I like what this person says? Unfriend. That was not what's going on there. It was just, I basically stayed friends with my family, um, the leadership here at church and a couple of like lifelong childhood friends that I just enjoy keeping up with now, that sort of thing. And and, and, and here's, the, here's the thing about that. What I've noticed is my stress level came down so much this week because I'm, I'm a very opinionated guy, and I see this stuff. And here's the thing about social media is that 60 to 75% of everything you read on social media is just made up. It's just made up. It's just completely manufactured, and it just gets everybody all riled up on both sides, far left, far right. It's just mostly made up. And it just gets, and, and when you see, if you're like me, when you see something that's just an obvious lie or just idiocy, you feel this desire to, to set things right, right? Like that, that, that can't go, that, this, this shall not stand. You know, you're like, you, like you, you, you just feel this desire to respond to it. And when you jump in and you feel like you got to respond to everything, I'm telling you, it's a game, it's a game you can't win. It's a game you can't win um, because people, and here's the thing that people behave differently online than they behave in real life. People will say anything online because they don't have to look you in the face. But if you were to have that same conversation, if, if Matt and I were to have a, a differing political conversation, which we had before, um, face-to-face, th- that conversation goes much different yeah. than type, 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 send. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, that conversation goes Can much. Say, I love that
1: you did the typewriter thing too. Right, right, right.
0: Just... Bam. And so I, I'm, I'm telling you, most of that, tur- if you're feeling a lot of turmoil, I guarantee you the vast majority of that is manufactured by what you're reading online, and, and I'm just going to say be very careful. Be very, very careful. Now, that said, let me say this. I think part of the, the way forward in this is for us to actually start having healthy conversations where other people can offer differing opinions, and you don't feel like you gotta have to ha- that you have to attack them for that opinion where you can go, okay, I hear what you're saying, or, or maybe follow it up with a, another question. Tell me why you think that, or whatever. Offer your opinion, too. And, and here's the thing, the way forward, too. Um, regardless of what your political leaning is, don't be afraid to call, as a Christian, don't be afraid to call out where your political party gets it wrong. Yeah. Don't be afraid to call out where, you, if you are hardcore conservative, Right leaning you know whatever and and that 's your that 's your party that 's perfectly fine. You have every right as an American as a human being to 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 jump on that side don 't be afraid to call out when your party gets it wrong that 's what I love so much about what what i 've been seeing in the news i 'm trying not to get too um, well there 's no way to avoid it okay, so what i 've been seeing in the news lately what i 've been loving so much is how many. Like so Trump is our president now, and we pray for him, and you know as, as we're called to pray for our leaders, right uh, what i've been loving is that how many people in his own party, when he makes a move that they're like that's too far, many of them, not all, but many of them have not been af- afraid to go, that's my president, but that's not right, right and I love seeing that stuff to to the same degree if you're left leaning the same thing you can be progressive or whatever in a lot of areas, but as a Christian, there are a lot of areas you cannot be, you cannot jump on that progressive bandwagon with because it's outside of our faith. So, and and the way I like to respond to those issues is not by me going, this is wrong. So says Jeff, that's not what I do. I like to just put scripture out there. Just let the Bible speak for itself and just throw throw, it out there and go, you know, as a believer, the Bible says this, so I got to get behind this you know, comments, anybody, you know, whatever. And what you'll find is that a lot of really good Christians will be, will, will still defend their position, even in light of the Bible, but let the Bible speak for itself. Don't feel like you have to come to the defense with your personal opinion because ultimately you're just one more in a sea of opinions that nobody really cares about. Right. And so does that make sense?
1: All right. Yeah, and, and I, you, you totally hit on something that I just wanted to kind of bring back to the the main point that I was making. When, like, these kind of conversations is, is is you added, you know, ask questions. Yeah. Uh, especially in an environment where let, let's throw out a, a common scenario. So say you're in the break room. You're in the break room at work, and someone has a, an opposing, uh, you know, two people are, are talking, and they're obviously resonating off each other, something that you're completely against. And 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 I, and I was talking about listening, and and the whole point of listening, you know, is to understand where someone is at, what they're saying, why they believe what they believe. And so part of listening is not just sitting there and just going, uh-huh, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Part of listening is asking questions for clarification and, and, and not pointed questions to make a point that obviously, okay, there's a hook on the other end of that question, but legitimately understanding. So if someone believes something that is so heinous and so obviously not what you believe, wouldn't you want to know why they believe that, how they got there? And 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 so as a Christian, I, I think there's an there's an element of this. Especially, we may struggle um, when, when we have kids. How do we parent our kids? How do we um, how do we raise them up in a way that they're aware of of the things of the world, but that they don't? You know, our fear is that they'll get sucked into uh, immediately believing to something almost almost as if um, that the things of the world is like this vacuum that just pulls us in. It, it, in a way, it is because because we are fallen, but. Being able to think for yourself is something that God has hardwired into every single one of us. And so as adults, uh, as we have differing uh, views, we get to ask other adults, hey, why do you feel that way? Uh, Not not things like, have you considered this? Because that's pointing it directly back to you uh, in your view. But legitimately asking, "So, so why do you feel this way? How do you feel about this? Because that helps us understand as Christians that it... If all it is is a project for you to get education on why someone feels that way so you can respect someone more, all power to you. But I think it goes a lot farther than that because it is a legitimate act of love to understand why somebody believes th- I would say believe. the same
0: thing applies to all areas of life. Like if you're having a conversation with somebody who is in a different faith than your faith, the, one of the best things that you can do is sit down with them and go, tell me about your faith. Tell me why you believe what you believe what I've found over the years is that when I give people the opportunity to talk about their faith, they are so grateful that I would actually sit and listen to them and give them the opportunity to talk about why their faith is meaningful to them. And, and then when I do that, I earn the right then to go, I I usually don't force it on them, but I'll say something like, I'd like to, I'd like to tell you the same stuff about me sometime. Whenever we have time, you ask me the same question. And, and, and maybe it happens at that moment. Maybe it happens a few weeks later, whatever, but, but it, it encourages a dialogue. And, and when you were saying what you were saying, I was thinking that you know, when you're having a conversation with someone, when the other person is talking, the purpose of that is not for you to try to figure out what you're going to say next, right? I'm like, I'm not really listening. What should I say next? What should I say next? What should I next? say next? Instead, it's you listen and you respond. And so, anyway, that's, we just need to listen more. And, and I can't, again, I cannot encourage you enough to really limit social media. It is so... Um, it has its strengths and it is a beautiful thing at times. And then there are times and you guys know, I don't have to convince you that is just flat out ugly and you don't need that negativity in your life. You just don't need it in your life. And so, um, I, once I started digging in and um, Jamie and I are going through this whole minimizing thing in our life right now, where we're minimizing a lot of different areas. And once I started minimizing Facebook, it wasn't just my friends list. It was all the things over the past eight years that I've liked Started unliking all those things, all these businesses and celebrities and whatever else that I've liked over the over the years, and suddenly my news feed on Facebook became so simple and so like enjoyable to actually once in a while get on there and look and see what was on there. Um, and, 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 and and by the way, it's not that I I uh, unfriended everybody with a different opinion because I I kept all my family and they're the biggest jerks in the world. <laughs> like I have the biggest problem with my family as anybody pretty much so. Um, Anyway, so I I just encourage you that way. Okay, uh, we have time for just a couple more questions. I was uh, baptized when I was 12 in the Methodist church, not by immersion. Does Living Hope believe you have to be baptized by immersion? So the answer to that question is yes and no, all right? So here's the yes and no of it. The the word baptized uh, comes from the Greek word baptizo. uh, And baptizo means uh, to immerse in water. That's literally what that means. Um, and so uh, when you look at the other examples in Scripture of people being baptized, Jesus being baptized in the, in the Jordan River, uh, you know if, if he was not going to be immersed, there would have been no reason to get in the river. Am I right? Who's, sprink- who's getting in the water and then sprinkling, right? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And so, so yeah, we think that the scriptural um, uh, pattern for baptism is by immersion of water. However, we're not going to be legalistic about it we're not going to be, so if you were baptized uh, from a, a different method in a different part of your life, and you are comfortable with that, and you feel that baptism was, as, was meaningful for you, and it was still your declaration of faith, we don't feel like you got to do that over. Uh, or if there's, you know, there's been, just recently we baptized somebody who had back issues and was Nervous about hurting her back in the, in the tub and everything, and so so we, we, we did a pouring instead of a, an immersion. I, I've done that something similar for, for kids with um, you know uh, developmental disabilities that had a major fear of water type of thing going on. And so, you know so we're not going to be legal, you know we're not going to shove unwilling participants into the water. You know that's not what we're all about. But, um, but, yeah, the biblical pattern is by immersion. So hopefully that answers that question.
1: Yeah, I just want to throw yeah. something really quickly out. I, I heard it said uh, there was this Australian pastor that I got to listen to one time talking about that <laughs> Greek word baptizo. And he was talking about this aspect of a cucumber, right? How, how do we get pickles? right? You immerse it. You literally, it's its that baptizo word. It's literally immersing that vegetable into that vinegar and, and whatever you have in there, and it turns it into a pickle. Now, once the pickle has been pickled, can it be unpickled? <laughs> No, that's that aspect of, you know, is circumcision, you know, in the New Testament, wow. you know, when it talks about... Yeah, I know, I'm bringing it up. I'm bringing it up. Paul talks about wow. it, we're going there.
0: From baptism to pickles to circumcision, how does that I'm happen? Going, I'm going straight
1: there. I'm going straight there. Now, in the New Testament, Paul talks about how circumcision is nothing except for circumcision of the heart, right? Paul talks about that, that, that he goes into this aspect of circumcision that the heart of it truly is um, that aspect of being sanctified and, and being set apart, being consecrated. And Paul talks about this aspect of being, you know, circumcised of the heart. And I think it, the same could be said about baptism in part. Not wholly, as Jeff was talking about. Um, the aspect that, you know, truly at, at, at the, the reality of what baptism was in Jesus' day was that immersion, but, you know, how we just talked about, you know, the pouring and stuff like that. But I think another part of uh, baptism to be observed on our part is the fact that baptism is not just an event that takes place, which is a declaration of our faith, which it is, but there is another aspect of it um, where, where Paul talks about, you know, the, being baptized into, uh, into a whole new life, that whole aspect of new creation that as we are baptized, it's, it's more than just this aspect of being, you know, dunked in water, which is great, but there, there's even more to it. And so I think that as we look at that word baptizo, which is really, really fun word to talk about, I think it's awesome for us to understand, you know, look, look at yourself and look at your life. Are you a cucumber or are you a pickle? If you're a pickle and you've been changed, you're a new creation. Go for it. That's what I had to say about that. I apologize. Wow. <laughs> okay.
0: Um, all right. all right. <laughs> So, you know that old children's book when you give a youth pastor a mic um,
1: oh the one with the, the floating bodies and all that stuff
0: <laughs> alright wow that's, that's, that's interesting okay good um, last question here we go uh, does God feel our pain and why does he allow innocent people to suffer so I'm sure we can handle that in about two minutes um, does God feel our pain why does he allow innocent people to suffer um, so yeah I think I uh, think um, for, you know, there's plenty of evidence in Scripture that God does feel our pain; that His heart is broken at times for the circumstances that we go through. Um, you look in um, John chapter 11 when uh, Jesus's friend Lazarus died, and and uh, you know, of course, the shortest verse in the Bible is 11:35. It says Jesus wept. Um, but in that moment, what you have is a picture of Jesus who is not just weeping for his friend; he's weeping for the sisters of his friends, whose hearts are broken that jesus uh, it appeared that jesus didn 't show up in time to save their brother 's life and and all this and, and he is, he is just broken he, there's another passage where he 's on a hilltop looking out over Jerusalem. He, he he weeps for Jerusalem wishing that they would get basically who he was and the significance of the fact that the Messiah had come and, and he's just he knows they 're missing it. They're missing it. They're headed towards a destruction that they can't even see, and he's just, he's just weeping for them. So he does, uh, God, you know, throughout the Scripture, you know, the Scripture shows us examples of, of when, yeah, he does, he does feel our pain. Um, and that's one of the things I, I love about God. Um, we serve a God who, you know, according to the way things are worded in Scripture, who gave his only son on our behalf, uh, to die a death that was not his to die, but instead that was ours to die. And while he, while Jesus is on the cross, um, the, the Bible teaches us that that there was darkness. God actually turned his back on that; he couldn't bear to look at his perfect, holy Son completely saturated in the sins of mankind. Um, again, just breaking his heart. So, yeah. Um, I think God does feel our pain. Why does he allow innocent people to suffer? I, I, I appreciate the wording of that question. Because um, most people would have worded that, why does he cause innocent people to suffer? And uh, I think it's really important for us to uh, keep in mind while that suffering may not be because God caused it, you're right in that he does allow it. He does allow it. Um, we are all members of the human race. And we all have a life to live, and none of us get out of this thing clean. Yeah. None of us get out of this unscathed, like like there's gonna be pain in our lives. There's gonna be loss, there's gonna be loss of loved ones, there's gonna be loss of dreams, there's gonna be loss of health, there's gonna be loss. That's just part of living a life. That's just it's just part of life. And whether you're super Christian or or super sitter, it which by the way, I think those are kind of synonymous terms. <laughs> Um, whether, whether you view yourself as super close to God or not, um, you're going to have awesome days where everything goes your way. And you're going to have days where nothing goes your way. Uh, you're going to have devastating days. You're going to have victorious days. You're going to live a life. You're going to have a life that, that is characteristic uh, characteristic of, of the lives that humans live. God is not some sort of and this kind of goes in line with another question that was in here about free will, do we have free will as human human beings? Uh, what I love about God is that he is not some sort of you know divine puppet master that is just controlling our every. We're, we're completely helpless to make a decision on our own i don 't think that 's the way scripture paints God at all, uh, and i would so I would say that free will question yeah, we as humans do have free will, does God know in his omni? Uh, omniscience in his all-knowing nature, uh, how things are going to play out and what decisions we're going to make. And yeah, he does. He's God. Um, But he gives it like, it would not be love. Like if if God is a loving God, it would not be love if he just created us with no free will and just was like, you're going to love me. And you're not. That doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense. And I don't think it lines up actually with the way scripture teaches it either. And so, yeah, we exercise free will. We exercise faith. But the Bible's pretty clear. Even the faith that we have the ability to exercise is a gift from God. And so is it, can I give you a hundred percent clear view of what that looks like? No, there's some mystery involved there as there is in a lot of things about faith. But um, I would say, yes, God is sovereign. He's completely in control He's in control of the good days and the bad days in in terms of what he allows and what he doesn't allow. He's working all these things for our good. He's working all these things to bring himself glory. And so our job in life is to walk the same life that pretty much everybody else has to walk, good and bad, and glorify God. And I, I don't know... I mean, if, if, if we need more clarity around, around it than that, I'm, I'm not sure I can help you because, like I said, now, I think we as American Christians have to feel the weight of the fact that there are Christians at other spots around the world that are being persecuted, that are running from their countries, and, um, and, 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 and their good days may look like our bad days. And so it's all, it's all relative, but regardless of where God has planted you, whether it's in a free country or a, 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 a persecuted country, whatever the case may be, your role is to glorify God and to lift up your brother and your sister. So when you see a brother and sister hurting, your role is to, is to be there, to be the voice of God to them, to be the hands and feet of God to them, to help carry them through those dark days. I, f- I just feel like we as Americans do a really cruddy job of lifting up our brothers and sisters around the world personally. Um, and we, we need to do better. We need to really do. Um, that, that's, the side, that's a side thing. Do you want to respond to that in any way?
1: I always want to respond. How much time we got? Uh, you got one minute. Perfect. Um, I, I was just going to add to that. Um, there are several examples throughout the Scripture, uh, specifically in the Gospels, when, when it says that Jesus had compassion. Um, you know, Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion. Jesus saw um, the, uh, the widow had compassion. Jesus, you know, all, all these different areas. And that word compassion, uh, I think, is, is, is a word that, that obviously resonates uh, with us. But I, I think it goes deeper than just compassion that we understand on a human level. Um, when it talks about you know, innocent people suffering, I, I, obviously we go to Job because he's the king of suffering uh, in, in the Old Testament, and none of us are allowed to compare any of our lives to Job because we're just not allowed to do that because he just suffered so much. But I think we can learn so much from Job uh, in this aspect of if there is suffering going on in our life, that even if I don't feel it, and even if I don't want to, I'm going to say God is good because I know he was good. If he was good... Two years ago, when everything was great, all the circumstances were great, now all of a sudden, if circumstances are bad, all of a sudden, he qualitatively is less good That that can't be. Either, either, either we waver or God wavers. And if we serve a God that wavers, we're in deep doo-doo. I think that's the Greek term. Um, so as it comes to compassion... scubalon. Uh, that's correct. That's the Greek term. Um, the... When it comes to compassion, understanding that that compassion, I think, is also applied when he allows us to suffer, because the scriptures say, and in, in, in Acts talks about how the apostles rejoiced when they were flogged, because they were able to suffer in the same sufferings as Jesus. And, and I think that there's, there's something really beautiful about God's compassion for us when we suffer because he understands what it means to suffer. Yeah, I
0: think that's a really great point. The reason, you're right. The answer to that question, why, do we, why does God allow us to suffer? He allows us to suffer for his glory and for our growth. That's, that's why. That's why. And so, all right. All um, right good. Thank you. Thank you, Matt, for helping out this morning and helping save my voice. And thank you all for guiding the sermon this morning. If we didn't get to your question, I'm really sorry. Um, uh, We only have so much time. So um, God is good. Amen. 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 All right. Come back next week. uh, Football Sunday is going to be a lot of fun. And uh, um, bring a friend with you. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. And we thank you for our time with you this morning. We thank you that your word is uh, full of answers to our questions. And, um, and thank you for um, uh, the ability to, to dive in to difficult issues and and um, and find consolation and find direction um, and find wisdom from your word. So just continue to lead us and guide us in the way that you want us to go. And I uh, got to pray as we've uh, spoken this morning that um, for, for anybody in the room who's far from you um, and unsure if they want to be one of your followers. Um, Got to pray that through all of this uh, jumbled up mess this morning that your Holy Spirit would just uh, reach through it and, and that there would have been a statement that seemed to make sense to someone that would draw them in closer to you. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody have a great week.